The first reading this morning is from John chapter 7, starting at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who he believed in him were later to receive. Up to the time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And the second reading is from Isaiah chapter 44, starting at verse 1. But now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground. And I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob, and still others will write on their hand the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Lovely to see you and a happy new year. If I haven't seen you already this year, I wish you a happy new year. Now, I wonder if we could have the first bit of a reading, John 7:37, up on the screen. That's good. And let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for the many invitations of Jesus. And today we pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would draw us close to you, that we'd want to respond to this amazing invitation. And I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit upon all of us, especially me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Week by week, we're going through some of the wonderful invitations that we find in scripture and specifically the invitations of Jesus. And I wouldn't like to make a com competition out of it, say, you know, which of these invitations are the most life-changing or the most significant. That just doesn't seem right because every single one of these invitations, if we can learn to appropriate them, claim them and live them out in our lives, respond to them daily, every single one of them, will be totally transformational. Last week, we looked at Jesus' invitation to the weary, and today's invitation is his wonderful invitation to the thirsty. I'm going to read just the first bit of it again, John 7:37. On the last and greatest day of a festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John says, by this he meant the Spirit. 
Now, this invitation, which uh, we're going to look at, is probably very familiar to many of us. And as I've mulled it over and prayed it over and thought about it, I think I've concluded that it's much easier for me to explain this invitation than it is for us to experience it. And so the way what's coming up, just so you know, spoiler alert, in the first third of this talk, I'm going to explain what Jesus is on about by this invitation. The bulk of this talk is going to be about how to make the invitation real in our own lives, how to actually experience what he's talking about. And then after that, we're going to have a time to actually respond. Now, I feel like saying in the olden days, because it does feel rather quaint and ancient for me to try and use this as an illustration, but in the olden days, from time to time, one used to receive an invitation, maybe in the post to an event, and it might be a card or something. In the bottom right-hand corner, it used to say RSVP. These days, it's more likely to be a WhatsApp invitation coming, isn't it? And sometimes, just sometimes, when an invitation would come, you might have looked at this invitation and thought, I don't really know what to do with this. I, I'm not sure how to respond. Because I remember actually the last time I went to this party or this whatever it was, I didn't have that great a time. So you buy yourself a bit of response time, and you put it behind the clock and you leave it there. Or in the younger generation, you read the WhatsApp message and you just don't respond while it's make your mind up time. But pretty obviously, if Jesus gives us an invitation, that's not really the right way of handling it, is it? I mean, it would be sort of embarrassing for Jesus to come to our home and find a stack of his invitations behind the clock because we were dithering or on our WhatsApp because we didn't know how to reply. Procrastination isn't going to be the right answer, which is why I want us to look at this invitation and try and work out a good response together. Let's have a look at the invitation and let's realize this is an invitation that Jesus wants lots of people to hear. How do I know that? Because John tells us it was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was an important feast for the Jewish people and Jerusalem would have been very crowded. This festival goes on for a whole week or went on for a whole week and the last day was particularly crowded. And we're told on the last day of the feast, Jesus raised his voice with a loud voice. He basically shouts it out to everyone that can hear. And what he says in this invitation is, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Now, I just want to flag, I just want to flag that he wants us to understand we're included in this invitation. We're going to come back to this. And he uses a metaphor of water and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And, and we have a challenge here, a problem. Because most likely, none of us or few of us have ever experienced the kind of thirst Jesus is talking about. It, you know, for us, thirst is when it was two hours ago you had your last cup of tea. But, but for them, living in Middle Eastern climate, 
and without running water coming out of a tap, one imagines that they were extremely familiar with that kind of thirst which drives you to find somewhere where they can refresh you with water. And so Jesus is saying, if, if that's how you feel and you want living water, I, I, I can be the source of that. And John helpfully tells us he's not talking about water at all. It's an illusion or a metaphor or an image of living water, which John tells us is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. If, if you're thirsty for spiritual life, says Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit and I can supply him. I am the source of this. And this is a fulfillment of the scriptures, says Jesus. Well, what's he talking about? Well, in this talk, you don't expect me to give you a complete trawl through the whole Old Testament of promises of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But just to plunder a few from Isaiah so that we understand this isn't um, Jesus um, speaking off the top of his head, as it were. It is the fulfillment of promises. Just to plunder from Isaiah, here are some references. Isaiah 55 verse 1, I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Or come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come. Buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Or a favorite verse of many, Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He'll strengthen your frame and you'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose water never fails. Now you probably know the word for spirit and the word for breath are the same Hebrew word. And it would be true to say that the Holy Spirit is to our spiritual life what breath is to our daily life. Frankly, your life depends upon it. Now, I suspect, I haven't said anything new for most of us listening today, but I want to emphasize, we can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. And without him continually refreshing us, will be massively disempowered. You might have had the experience of giving a present to a child. The child unpacks the present full of hope and then their face falls a million miles because they realize the batteries are missing and you can't operate it. It's no use without the batteries and it places you in a quandary. Or we could use another illustration Around here, there's no shortage of incredibly impressive cars. You rarely find a car without a personalized number plate in these parts. And you could spend your time admiring a car from the outside. But if that car had got no petrol in it, or if it's an electric car, no electric charge in it, it's not really going to function as a car ought to. And that's actually a more appropriate illustration because it so often represents, I think, what church can be like and what our walk with God can be like. Because you see, the deceptive thing is you can still admire that car from the outside and actually you can use it for all sorts of things. You can go and sit in it, if you like, for shelter and you can maybe turn the heating on or the radio on to entertain yourself for a bit. 
but it's not functioning as the car was meant to function. And God's family, the church, and we as Christ followers, without the Holy Spirit empowering us, you could, there are plenty of people who will go to church today and they won't encounter God in the least. And they won't know his strength and they won't know his friendship and they won't know so much. But it'll look as if there's nothing missing, but you know from the inside there is. It's the living water that we need. Now, when you look at this invitation, you and I can see that Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, and my intention in the next five minutes is to give you a thirst, because when it comes to receiving this living water, a thirst comes first. Without it, we're not gonna get very far. So here are some of the things that I think, what scripture teaches me, are associated with receiving this living water. There is a connection between the spirit and energy. And what's not to like about that? You know, today uh, we know about the price of energy and we know we're looking for different kinds of sustainable energy and wind power is on the increase, which is great because for a Christian, a Christ follower, wind power, Holy Spirit power is a sustainable source of energy. That is exactly what we're being invited to plug into. And those who follow Jesus fruitfully know the need for that kind of energy. And so Paul would write to the Ephesians that he wants them to know the same strength. And that is the origin of that word strength is energia, from which we get energy, as raised Jesus from the dead, which is Holy Spirit strength. Or he writes to the Philippians, I can do all things, because I'm such Superman, no, I can do all things through him who fills me with strength. That is Holy Spirit strength. And when you look at Jesus' invitation, Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all of you who's thirsty. If you believe in me, a trickle will come out from time to time. Does he? he doesn't say a trickle of living water might just happen on a good day when the sun's out and the wind's behind. He says, rivers of living water are going to flow. So that's very basic. Do you feel you lack energy for God's things? Well, ask for this strength, ask for this living water. Secondly, and I'm just plucking these, you know, I could speak on each one actually for great length, but I'm not going to. Christ-like character, a new heart and a new spirit, a new tenderness comes with the Holy Spirit. It's not like we turn over a new leaf, which we all know is very limited. It's much more like on your computer, putting in a whole new operating system or in scripture images, having a new heart is the equivalent of having a brain transplant. And what changes everything? The Holy Spirit comes and makes us bit by bit more Christ-like. Many of us will have had the not altogether enjoyable experience sometimes. If you just look in the mirror or something happens and you reflect on your own behavior and you say, oh my goodness, am I still like that? That's so disappointing after all these years of following Christ that I'm not more gentle or more kind or that I can still have that kind of a thought. And that's the place when you turn to the Holy Spirit and say, I need more of you in my life that I might be more Christ-like. Or another whole dimension of this living water, this Holy Spirit, is a new relationship with God in the sense of a new confidence that we're now a part of his family. 
that we're not strangers to him anymore. We belong. We really have been adopted into his family. And when we talk to him, we talk with a certain familiarity. We say, Abba, Father, Daddy. And that's not just semantics. It's actually telling us something that's going on in our heart because the Holy Spirit has given us that kind of confidence that we belong now. And when that happens, everything changes. Our worship changes. It becomes a song from heart to heart. Our prayers change. You know that you're loved and you belong and you're filled with a new and living hope by the Spirit. Is this making you a little bit more thirsty? I hope so. And then much allied to this is, without doubt, it's not just an energy to do the things you were already doing. You're imbued with God's power, his strength, and the whole realm of spiritual gifts opens up to us. Healing and deliverance and generosity and speaking in tongues and prophecy and discernment and teaching and administration, etc., etc. Because, as Paul says, the kingdom of God isn't just talk, it's power. And for people filled with the Spirit, this is true. For a period of my life, I lived in the southwest of England, uh, very near to Salisbury Plain. And there were quite a few members of the armed forces who worshipped in my church. And from time to time, one of them might give me an invitation to a kind of exhibition on the ranges of a British Army's firepower. And um, I'd go off and it would be incredibly impressive. It was kind of, you know, boys playing with toys and you see all these massive tanks, etc., etc., etc. But when it comes to a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power, it's a lot more subtle than that. It is not so much fireworks so often as power to serve. A love that you couldn't possibly muster up in your own strength, but which, which is dependable and wide-reaching and includes all kinds of people and welcomes them into your life. And if you want to see an illustration or a description of that kind of a Holy Spirit love, 1 Corinthians 13, the favorite passage on love, that describes it perfectly. But you won't be able to achieve it in your own strength. You'll need the Holy Spirit's strength. Or sometimes it shows up through a quality of life in the ability of keeping going through a period of suffering. And it's Holy Spirit strength that allows that to happen. And I think very often when the Holy Spirit and us connect, there's a new awareness of the whole realm of what's going on actually in the heavenly places and there being a spiritual battle and how to pray into that. But as I say, a thirst for these things has to come first. Sometimes you visit somebody or you know somebody and they're sick and they tell you, I've lost my appetite. I really can't eat. I'm not interested in eating. And if that happens for a long period of time, you just know that's really quite serious. That is not a good sign. And if I were to meet a group of Christ followers who said, I've lost my appetite for things of a spirit. I'm really not very interested. I would say that's not a good sign. That is not going to lead you to a good place. And I want to encourage us to say, you know, there are people for whom all this talk of spiritual revival and of spiritual life is not just interesting, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And it will be for you and it will be for me and it will be for St. Michael's if we'll lay our hands on this stuff. Let me give you an illustration. It's rather a quaint illustration, 
but it's a true illustration. And it's lifted from a, a, a little booklet, which if you wanted, you could research on the net. Written by a, a former church leader in the past, man called Torrey, about his friend D.L. Moody. By the end of his life, this character, D.L. Moody, he was an interesting chap. He was born in Chicago. He lived in poverty. He was one of any number of children. And he becomes a, an evangelist. By the end of his life, he was crisscrossing from America to the UK regularly, speaking to crowds of hundreds of thousands, which was really big in, in those days, and leading them to Christ. But in his booklet, uh, Torres says one of the things about Moody, which marks him out, was he was definitely filled with power from on high. Now that's a very quaint old phrase, and it means basically he had living water in his life. And he tells this story, he says, in his early days, Moody was a great hustler. He had a tremendous desire to do something, but he had no real power. And he worked very largely on the energy of his own flesh. And he talks about how he went to speak in one location, and he was speaking on a number of nights, a kind of guest rally, guest services. And there were these two elderly ladies. One was called Auntie Cook, and the other was called Mrs. Snow. You can't say that I don't do my research. And these two old ladies just sat there and they annoyed Moody because at the end of every meeting, they would go up to him and they'd say, I'm praying for you, we're praying for you. And he, he got irked by this and he said, well, I really don't know why you're praying for me. You should be praying for the unsaved. And they said, well, we're praying that you might get the power. This irked Moody a lot. And as, as the mission carried on, eventually at the end of one of these evenings, he went up to them and said, look, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Just let's, let's, let's sit and have a conversation. And they did. And he asked them to pray for the Holy Spirit to come make a difference to him. And sometime later, he describes in his own journals that he was walking down Wall Street in the States when suddenly, as he put it, the fire of God fell on him. And he reflected, I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I didn't present new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I wouldn't now be placed back where I was before that experience if you would give me all the world. One of the things that makes me thirsty to apprehend and respond to this promise of living water is that so many of the people I see making a difference for God's kingdom would themselves want to talk to me about the difference the power of the Spirit makes in their lives. In this country, there's a church leader called David Watson, and he writes in his autobiography how he was so puzzled by the massive difference, the gap between what he saw the early followers of Jesus doing in the book of Acts and what he saw disciples doing today. And he was so unsettled Every time he read 1 Corinthians 13 and he saw the character of a godly person described and he thought of his own character. And so he set about on his own, just quietly in his own devotions, crying out to God saying, oh Lord, would you make me more like this? Could we see a move of your spirit like this? And he describes how quite sovereignly the Holy Spirit came upon him afresh and something big changed in him and his whole life ministry took off. There is such a disparity, frankly, between the potency of the church in the scriptures 
and the potency of so many churches of what we see today, we need that kind of upper room desperation when we pray to seek this. When the disciples got together in the book of Acts, we're told they stretched themselves out in prayer. They really, really were prepared to tussle for this because they knew if Jesus would pour out living water, everything would change and it would be so much better. So let me switch to the whole area. So how, how do we experience this? How do we access it? How do we put the batteries in? Now this may not be true for all of you, but I, I speak from my own experience to some extent. And I think there are a number of obstacles that I have to overcome every time I hear a talk like this. And I have to overcome them. I, I have successfully overcome them in the past and I, I can do again today, but I'm sharing them with you. The very first one is this. I must overcome a sense that this is for everyone else except for me. That somehow I'm excluded from this invitation. So I expect, you know, like in a few minutes time when we have time of prayer, I would be tempted to kind of look around and just say, oh, well, I'm not surprised God blesses her and him because you know, they're the kind who always get blessed, but I'm not surprised that it misses me out. Well, scripture doesn't talk like that. Jesus says here, doesn't he? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And there are so many of the promises of scripture which are that inclusive about the Holy Spirit. So in, early in the book of Acts, Peter quotes Joel's promise and said, the young will prophesy and the old will dream dreams. And both men and women will be impacted by the Holy Spirit. So it seems to me that that is a massive invitation because frankly, between us here, we're young, old and in between. So it's not an ageist promise. And it's not a sexist promise. We are included. We are included. We can't say that there's a distinction on any grounds, really, not between personality types either. You know, sometimes it's tempting to say, oh, well, the extrovert's like this and the introvert's run a mile. Or, or you know, this is fine for those who like that kind of thing. No, it isn't. This, this is for all Christ's followers, this invitation. Then another thing I have to overcome, I'm just being honest with you, is the idea this is somehow an optional extra for those who do like this sort of thing and the rest of us can pass it by. For years, I've had experience of attending church where the power of the spirit wasn't denied, it was just ignored. And I wanna say that's not good enough because you can't live, nor can I, on head knowledge alone. It won't do the trick. Now, I'm first to agree, head knowledge is incredibly important. My faith in Jesus is buttressed by facts about him. And there's no question, one way of, of knowing him is definitely through knowing all about him, what he did, his life and his death and his resurrection and his teaching. But that alone will not sustain you. Paul talks of praying for the Ephesians and saying he wants them to have a knowledge of Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know, he says, Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And that's very, very puzzling because you say to yourself, so how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? And the answer is you experience it. You experience it. 
Many has been the intellectual who actually experienced God in this way. At the end of talking at the nine o'clock service, someone reminded me of the experience of Pascal. He, you know, had, it was one of these guys with a brain like a colossus. But in his own autobiography and writings, he describes a day when the fire of God fell on him. And it had nothing to do with his great brain that worked it out. He just experienced the love of God in a new way. And he jotted down what that experience was like, using words like fire, breath of God. And he wrote it on a scrap of paper. And I seem to remember reading somewhere that he had it sewn into his outer coat so that wherever he went in life, he was never far away from a reminder of his experience of the love of God. I remember when living in Cambridge, going to visit an elderly man in his mid-80s, and we went up to his top room. He was a prodigious scholar, this man. He spoke at least five languages fluently. And I didn't want you to, to put you off him, but he was a retired bishop. And in his youth, he'd been a friend of C.S. Lewis. He he'd really knew what it was to follow Jesus. And at the end of our meeting together, he said, Rupert, I'm going to come and pray for God to bless you. And he just, he didn't have to walk across the room because the room was so small that our, our knees were sort of touching each other anyway. He just stood up and he put his hands on my head and he prayed in tongues for about 10 minutes. And I, I thought it was incredibly moving because it wasn't intellectual fact he was trying to give me. It was an encounter of the presence of a living God. He understood, he understood the power of connecting with the living water. What else might hold us back? Well, I think bad experiences in the past, this kind of thing. And if that's the case, I think what we do is we say in a time of prayer, Lord, you know, I'm really not that keen. I'm damaged goods. I've come out the wrong side of this in the past. So I'm gonna tell you that's my fear today. That's my worry, it's my anxiety. But if there's anything in this stuff, I want to receive and on you go. Or a sense that as I've said already, this isn't my bag ruling yourself out. And I think you know, if you're a person who believes the scriptures, you just can't do that. Well, thirdly, a sense that we have to perform in some way. And I just have to say, you don't have to perform in any way. What we have to do is open our hearts to him and open our minds to him and wait upon him. And I think maybe this is a fear that some of you will resonate with because there are some people who are fortunate, they just seem to get on the right sort of wavelength for this and, and they manifestly look involved when there's a prayer time and we wait upon the Lord. And it's quite easy to think, oh dear, are they expecting me to react in a certain way? And I would say, no, I'm not. I can't predict what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and bless you. Just be open. And I think sometimes embarrassment holds us back. Um, and it may be that you hear this talk and you're up for it, but you, frankly, you don't want to be put on exhibition. Well, you're not on exhibition, but if it makes it easier for you to pray for the Lord to bless you in this way at home, that's fine. Or to pray seated in this church, that's fine. It, it's not outward manifestations that I'm really urging. It's that connection with the living water. And another thing that um, holds me back from time to time is that urge 
to say to God, if I don't understand it, I'm not up for it. You know, if only I understood a bit better what's about to happen, I'd come forward a bit quicker. To which I, I give myself this kind of lecture, well, Rupert, there are many things that you buy into you don't understand, but you receive. You, know, you turn on the television, you have no idea how that works, but you're quite happy to sit and let it influence your life. Or as a friend put it, we don't know how a brown cow eats green grass and produces white milk, uh, but we'd still drink it. Uh, when I use that illustration in Cambridge, 10 people came up to me and told me exactly how that worked out. <laughs> but we don't have to understand how the spirit works. We just have to believe what it says in the scriptures. What can help us? Well, I hope talks like this can help us. I hope this removes some of the fear barrier, some of the anxiety, some of the worries. I'd say if you want to get impacted by fire, you need to stand near the fire. If you know people who are evidently alive with God, don't scorn them, don't put them off, encourage each other. And definitely in scripture, there is a connection between people praying for other people and what scripture calls laying on their hands, just imparting God's gifts by prayer. That definitely happens in the scriptures and it definitely happens in churches. What motivates me to keep going? Uh, well, as I've said, it's so important that God's church family comes alive, isn't it? And the most fruitful followers of Christ I know definitely talk about welcoming the power of the spirit in their lives. I love it when I've seen congregations come alive. It makes all the difference in the world. And on the negative side, the experience of being dry as a bone is not one you want. It's so uncomfortable to be out of touch with the living God. Now what we're going to do is I'm going to uh, suggest we have a time of quiet so that you can gather your thoughts. And, and you can think how you personally want to respond to this invitation of Jesus. I want to encourage you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were some here and actually in your memory bank, sometime in the past has been a time when you've been closer to God than you are today. When you've been more connected with the power of the Holy Spirit than you are today. Maybe you even use some spiritual gifts uh, which God gave you, but you haven't for ages. And I want to encourage you that those gifts have not gone away. Romans 11:29 says that God's gifts and God's call are irrevocable. In other words, he doesn't snatch them back. You just need to be told and encouraged to fan into flame what God's already given you. One of the things that drives me to push on with this and not to conceal it, and to make it more and more and more mainstream is I cannot see how people are going to connect with God until holiness comes back into God's house. If we're not full of the spirit of God, people will choose worldliness over godliness every day of the week. But what should be happening and will happen as we receive this living water is that people who bump into you and bump into me will bump into the light of Christ, the character of Christ, the love of Christ, the hope of Christ, etc., etc., etc. 
And everything in this dark world around us needs the light of Christ. And we cannot do it in our own strength. So I hope you're thirsty. And I hope in this time we're going to have now that you will just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I'm going to suggest we have a, a, a minute of, of silence. And then I'm going to invite Will back up here to quietly lead, lead us in some worship, just gentle worship. And then anyone who is thirsty for more of God in their life, more of the Spirit, wants to respond to this invitation, just come and stand at the front and we will pray with you. And let's do this with a sincerity. You know, it, I have a daughter who is a curious in a church up in Nottingham and we talk to each other very often. And one of the things she said to me was, you know, it's challenging when they have prayer ministry in my church because the vicar invites people forward and it's become known as the walk of shame to go to the front to receive prayer. And that so isn't what we want this to be. You know, it, it, we will not look at one another and say, oh, I knew she needed prayer, her life's such a mess. It is not the walk of shame. It is the walk of claim that we're going to claim this promise of Jesus and say, you have permission to come and bless. Let's wait on the Lord for a minute. Just think of this invitation and picture it of Jesus standing before you and saying, if anyone is thirsty, and he's saying it with a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and rivers of living water will flow. I thank you, Lord, that this invitation is forever. It wasn't time limited and it's for everyone 